Amazing. So good to be here this morning. I'm excited. I'm excited to preach this morning. Uh, you know, I've been wanting to preach every Sunday. Mark keeps saying, nah, not this Sunday, not this Sunday. Uh, yeah, it's how it goes. It's how it goes. But I, I finally got my gap. It's how it goes. Yeah? Agreed. There you go. That's all good. It's all good. Um, but amazing to have you with us this morning. To our friends online, it's so cool to have you. We're going to be doing communion at the end. Uh, so if you're online this morning and you haven't grabbed some, some emblems, as we like to call them, go and grab quickly. Uh, it'll be good to do communion together. So we've been uh, preaching through the series of Ruth, and I've got to tell you that I, I, where I currently stand, I think it's one of my favorite series that we've ever done. I don't know what it is about it. This, is, this book is just incredible. It's speaking to me, um, I, and I just find it so incredibly relevant. Now, I know the Bible is relevant all the time, but this book at the moment, just in our world and the things that are going on, I'm finding this book to be incredibly relevant. If you're here this morning, you're visiting for the first time, uh, and you have no idea about the series, that's okay. You get the chance to catch up, but I encourage you to read the book. It's short. There's four chapters. You'll get through it in 20 minutes, um, and it's an incredible, incredible book. So maybe you haven't been around, and you don't know what we were preaching about. I'm going to give you a quick recap, but maybe you also, you, you got a, a, a memory like a sieve, um, and uh, it's kind of, it's all gone, and you haven't taken notes, but that's, that's fine. We'll recap for you right now, and um, so we, this book of Ruth, it focuses on this family during, during a difficult time in Israel's history. Uh, there are these rulers called the judges, and things are chaotic. It's messy. Uh, things are not going great. There's no order in the land. There's also famine in the land, and this family that we're focusing on, Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, they, make, they decide to leave Israel. They, they move to the country of Moab, they, uh, where things just seem like they're better off. Um, and they get there, and Elimelech dies. Yeah, Naomi suddenly finds herself a widow. Um, her two sons then find Moabite wives. They get married to this woman, Orpah. Yes, an anagram of Oprah. Uh, but that's, that's okay. Uh, Orpah and Ruth uh, marry the boys, and they, they live for 10 years in, the, in, in Moab. And then guess what? The boys die. So Naomi has left with her husband to this country. Husband's died. Sons are dead. Now what? It's her and the two girls. Um, and so Naomi, in this sort of situation, makes the decision that she's actually going to get head back home. She's found out that things are better off back home, you know, things are better, the famine is over, she's going to go home. She tells the girls, the girls say, hey, we're going to come with you. Uh, and she says, no, no, you stay here, stay in your land with your people. Uh, Orpah doesn't take too much convincing. She says, okay, she stays. Um, but Ruth, Ruth's different. Yeah? And Ruth, the word says she actually clings to Naomi. Uh, and she won't let go. And she says, actually, she says some incredible things. She says, actually, I'm going to come with you. Your land is going to become my land. Your people become your, my people. Your God will become my God. I'm going to die where you die. When someone says that to you, they're sticking around. You know that they're not going to go anywhere else. So I think uh, Naomi kind of like, okay, okay. So she comes along. They, they, they head back to, to Judah and Israel. Um, but things are tough. These are two ladies that have lost their husbands. They don't have anything. Yeah? They're poor. They've got nothing. And, um, and so Ruth says to her mom and law, says, listen, I'm going to go and work in the fields. We need, we need help. We need, to get, we need to do something. So she goes to do something called gleaning, to glean. And if you're not familiar with that word, um, it's actually an incredible thing that happened in, as part of the, the, the Israelites and, and what God sort of commanded. 
It was, there was always going to, he knew there would always be people in trouble. There'd always be people who are poor, that have nothing. And so what they did was they said, when, when we harvest, when we collect the harvest, what we're going to do is things that fall onto the ground, the harvest that falls, don't go back and pick that thing up. Leave it because there will, become the, there will come those behind you who have nothing and they'll have the opportunity to actually pick it up. That's gleaning. So you know Ruth is now going to do that. So when you're in that position, you have very little. You have nothing. And so that's what she does. And she ends up in this field gleaning. And it just so happens to be a field uh, owned by a man called Boaz. Yeah? We're going to talk a little bit about Boaz in a second. Um, but it just so happens Boaz is a relation uh, of Naomi's dead husband. Uh, Boaz, uh, Boaz is a good guy. He owns a field. Um, but the, there's something that happens. He sees Ruth. He notices her working in the field. Maybe, maybe Ruth looked good, and that caught his eye, but it was more than that. Uh, the word says that he inquired about her, yeah? And he, inqu- he wanted to know about her and about her story, uh, and he then goes and, 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 and speaks to her and, and offers her uh, provision and protection. And so here's Ruth in this position, the lowest of the low. She was not expecting any form of kindness. She's a foreigner in a foreign land, and here comes the big dude, the owner of the field, and he offers her kindness. And so she wasn't expecting this. And this is kind of where we pick things up. If you, if you want to read in your Bible this morning, we're going to read from chapter 4. But last week, if you missed last week, please go, go and listen to the pre- Gabe preached incredibly well last week. And he preached a, a, through a section in chapter 3. So what ends up happening is Naomi says to her daughter-in-law Ruth, he says, listen, Boaz is a relation of ours. Okay, um, uh, I'm, you need to go and visit him. Yeah? Boaz is going to be what they call it the threshing floor. You need to actually go and present yourself to Boaz and let Boaz know that actually you're available. Um, and so it was quite a thing. I mean, this is a massive thing. She, she's the lowest of the low. He's the highest of the high. And her mom-in-law says, actually, you need to go to him and present yourself. So in this, I mean, that's a difficult thing to do. She has to put everything on the line. She has to risk everything. But she listens to her mom-in-law, and off she goes. Um, and sh- there's this moment where she arrives. It's dark. Boaz can't see who's there. And he asks who's there. And she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. That's the concept of today. We're going to be talking about the redeemer, the family redeemer, or in older English, kinsman. Replace family with kinsman. We're going to talk about the kinsman redeemer. So let's read Ruth chapter 4. It's going to be up there behind me. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. The town gate, this is where all the business happens. This is where they transact. It's kind of like, it's like the golf course. Yeah? It's like the golf course. That guy there, he knows all about it. He's on his phone now. He's transacting now. But on the golf course, apparently that's where, that's where the business happens. Eh? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, he's booking a tee off to do some business. Just then, the family redeemer, or kinsman redeemer, I I probably skipped something. One sec, one sec. So when Ruth goes to visit the family redeemer, when she goes to visit Boaz, apologies, she goes to visit Boaz, Boaz tells us something very important. He says to her, yes, I am a family redeemer, but actually there's someone before me. There's actually an order to these things. Boaz is not the first guy in line. There's actually someone who's closer to the family than I am. He's actually the first redeemer. But what he says to Ruth is he says this amazing thing. He says, 
don't stress. He reassures her that no matter what happens, she will be redeemed. It's either going to be by the first guy or it's going to be by Boaz. Yeah? So he reassures her and so she, she relaxes. Yeah? Things are going to be okay. I forgot that piece. Very important. Let's go back to the scripture. He's at the gate. The first redeemer comes by, the nearer kinsman um, that he had mentioned. So Boaz called to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. Boaz does everything by the book. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. He's keen. He's in there. He wants that land. Then Boaz told him, of course, here's, here's the clangor, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the, fa- the land in the family. Not so sure anymore. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. So, before I talk about three redeemers this morning, we'll just quickly, let's just quickly settle this family redeemer, this kinsman redeemer concept. So, what, they, what, what this essentially boils down to is that there would be a male relative who, according to the various laws of the time, had the responsibility and privilege to act on behalf of a relative who was in need, a relative who was in trouble, a relative who was in danger. And this involved people and it involved land. So here we are, we've got Naomi, there's her dead husband's land. This land, instead of being sold off to someone who's not part of the family or a foreigner, they, they get a family redeemer or a kinsman redeemer who's close to the family to step into the gap and buy the land. Not only that, but to also marry the widow that's left over so that she may have children, so that be, the lineage would perpetuate and they would have the inheritance that is the land. Does that make sense? So what I want you to do, no, don't focus on the tricky part. I can see some ladies going here, you know what, I don't need some dude to step in here once this guy is gone to sort, I'll be fine. Different times, different times. What I want you to focus on though is the stepping into the gap. Because at at every point in time, at any point in time, there are going to be people who are in trouble. There are going to be people who need something. They've lost everything. Whether it be family, whether it be finances, whether it be businesses, they've lost. And what they need is someone to step in the gap and redeem, to help, to to pay for, because they can't. So that is really the concept I want to get across today as the family redeemer. So I want to talk about three redeemers this morning. The first redeemer is the redeemer who wasn't. The redeemer who wasn't. So there was this guy that we've just read about. We call him the nearer kinsman because he is, in terms of the relations, he is closer to Naomi's dead husband than Boaz or anyone else in the family. So what that means is, He gets first dibs. Yeah? He gets first dibs. 
So he has the ability and the capability to redeem and buy the land. What's important here, though, is you need to understand something. He chooses not to. So he, even though he can, he makes a decision and a choice not to. So Boaz introduces the concept to the nearer kinsman, who has no name. The Bible does not record that. See when you make these kind of decisions, eh? No name. Fall by the wayside. Boaz introduces the concept to him of the land. And let's be honest, he jumps at it pretty quickly. The words are not even out of, out of Boaz's mouth, and he's like, I'm in. Yeah, it's a deal. He kind of, he, 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 I think of him as a little bit of a wheeler dealer. He's like a second-hand land salesman. He's like, I'm in there. The piece of land, in fact, when I was reading this, you know what I thought of? I thought of, you know, the, the Bitcoin guys. You know, the minute they hear about it, a Bitcoin, a Bitcoin, a Bitcoin, I'm in, I'm in. Um, but if you don't know about Bitcoin, don't worry about it. I'm not going to explain that now. Um, but he's that kind of guy. He's like, he's, like yeah, I mean, he's looking to increase his wealth. He wants to add to his portfolio. All right? So he loved the idea of the land. But then, as we've read, Boaz tells him that the land comes with a person. Now he's not so keen. Now he's not that interested. Because the reality is, he sees the land as adding to his inheritance. But when the person is introduced, he sees the person as taking away. The person is going to take away from his inheritance. He even utters the words, they're going to, his inheritance is going to be impacted. We don't know exactly what that means to him. Yeah? It could mean a few things. But in that moment, he was keen on the land, he wasn't keen on the person. See, the reality is, He's not wrong because people do have an impact. People do take away. The pie is only this big. And you keep adding people into the mix, there's less pie to go around. I need to give up some of my piece of the pie because this person has come in. So there's potentially less for me because I need to add them in. If I just add the land, well, I'm just adding more pie, and the pie just grows bigger and bigger, but it's just for me. Boaz looks at it very differently. See, Boaz never once concerned himself with the land. He's not interested in the land. His thinking, his processing, it's all about Ruth. It's all about Naomi. It's all about the person. His heart is a heart of the gods. He's looking at the person. The person needs redeeming. He doesn't care that the person is actually going to take away that the person's going to need something from him. He wants to redeem the person. Boaz's decision is centered around Ruth and Naomi, the, the nearer kinsman, the kinsman, the redeemer who wasn't, was all about the land. He was all about gaining something, but didn't want to gain the person. Mark mentioned something to us that morning. I went and did a little bit of Google. There's actually a, there's a study in America at the moment that says that young Americans, mostly millennials at the moment, are more likely to own pets than to have children. And as a person, as a family, you have both children and pets. I'm telling you this now, now pets are easier. <laughs> but that's not what I'm called to do. I'm not called to just have pets and look after my little pets are great. Yeah? And they don't really take much. 
But I'm called to actually, I'm called to engage. I'm called to redeem. I'm called to pull people into the story and into the mix. And they're going to, and it's going to hurt and they're going to take away. But that's what I'm called to do. That's what you're called to do this morning. So let's not be like the kinsman who wasn't, who has no name recorded, who was just after the land, who wasn't after the person. But you know what? Maybe he had other reasons. And this is just my thinking. Maybe Ruth was really pretty. And he knew his wife was not going to be happy with that. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe he just wasn't up for another mother-in-law. I get that. <laughs> Mother-in-laws, be a blessing. Be a blessing. <laughs> I wonder if my mother-in-law is watching this morning. She is a blessing. She is a blessing. <laughs> The second redeemer I want to talk about this morning is the redeemer who was. And that's quite obviously the man. Big, bold, bow. Boaz. So, you know, his name is actually quite amazing. His name has sort of two meanings. The one meaning is swiftness. And I love that because bow doesn't mess around. When Ruth goes to see him in chapter 3, and he says to her, listen, there's a process here. There's potentially another guy. He says, I'm going to go sort this out tomorrow. And what does he do? He goes to the gate the next morning. He doesn't mess around. What's important, though, the difference between him and the kinsman or the redeemer who wasn't is that his swiftness is done the right way. His swiftness is backed up by righteousness. So actually, um, what's his name? John Piper. He calls it strategies of righteousness. See, Boaz doesn't just leave things be. He doesn't just like, you know what? Yeah, I know there's this other guy in the story, and maybe if we just keep quiet for a while, lay low, he'll kind of disappear, and things will be okay. No, no. He has a strategy and a plan of action, and he puts it into action. He has a strategy of righteousness. You know what the, you know what the kicker here is? That guy, the redeemer who wasn't, he could have said yes. Bo could have done everything the right way, the way you're supposed to. And the other guy could have said yes, and he would have lost Ruth. But he had to trust God in the process, and he had to trust the process. Yeah? Amen? The other meaning of Boaz's name is strength is within him. Bo means in him, and as means strength. Strength is within him. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you go, I don't have any strength within me. Well, I'm going to talk to you about the third redeemer in a bit. You can add strength who will give strength and bring strength to the story. But if you're looking for a role model, look no further than Boaz. Or if you're a single lady at this morning and you're looking for a husband, look for these characteristics. Yeah? If you want to know how to treat people, look to Boaz. Read the story. If you want to know how to honor people, look to Boaz. Read the story. If you're a boss here this morning or a manager and you, you have people in your employment, you want to know how to treat them, read the story the way he treats the people that are underneath him. So just some characteristics of Boaz. I'm going I'm I'm to rattle through them. They're not up, up there. The first one is that he is worthy. Chapter 2 says, Boaz was described as a worthy man who believed in the Lord. If you want to be worthy, do yourself a favor, believe in the Lord. Trust in him, trust in his processes. Boaz is described as being worthy. And just by the way, as I read through these characteristics, it should remind you of someone else that we know. If not, I'll introduce you to him in a second. 
The second one, he is a protector. When Ruth arrives in the field, he says to her, stay in my field, stay with the ladies here, you'll be safe. Bo then goes to the dudes and says, don't touch. Leave her alone. Do not harm her. He protects her. I want to ask you this morning, do you protect those around you? Do you protect those that need protecting? Because we're called to do that. We're called to protect. He's a provider. In the field, he gives her water to drink, he gives her food to eat, and he gives her an abundance of barley to take back to Naomi after they're harvested. But what I love about when I read that is that that's what he does for the people in his employment. He's obviously paying them a wage, but over and above that, he provides. He gives them food to eat. He's a provider. He's observant. Ruth obviously caught his eye. Uh, I, I pretty much believe that. She caught his eye. But more than that, he observed and he got to know her character, her inward character. He heard about the good deeds that she was doing. She was looking after her mother-in-law. Yeah? And, she, and he found out about her kindness. He was observant. He saw her and he observed. I want to ask you this morning, do you observe? Wherever you are, in the workplace, maybe even here at church, do you observe? Do you see people that need acts of kindness, that need you to intervene? I'm going to ask you this morning, are you observant? Boaz is compassionate and he's generous. He had concern for others. He loved his neighbor as himself. He was the owner of the field. He was the big dude, but he treated everyone well with compassion and his generosity overflowed. And lastly, he was a man of integrity. Because as I've said, when Ruth came to him and said, you're my family redeemer, he said, actually, I'm not the first one. He could have kept that quiet. I'm sure he could have schmuckled a little bit and made a plan. But he didn't. He went by the book. He was a man of integrity. He had to trust God and trust the process and do things the right way. When he went to the gate to engage with the nearer kinsmen, he called the elders around because he needed witnesses. It's important. Yeah? They need, I need witnesses to witness that I'm doing this properly. But above all else, for me personally, what blows me away about Boaz is his kindness. There's an incredible scripture in Romans that says that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. And we see that with Boaz. Yeah? It's not a big stick. It's not a big kind of, I'm the main guy and you will respect me. It's none of that. It's his kindness. And Ruth says to him, she even says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Kindness, kindness. She felt that her past, her poverty, and her status as a foreigner in Bethlehem made her less than. She was less than the lowest. But Boaz acknowledges her and greets her with kindness. You know, in the Hebrew, the word notice, or to observe and notice, means to acknowledge with honor, to understand. Because so often we see people where they're at, and that picture that we see doesn't tell us the story. He saw the lady gleaning in the field. She's the lowest of the low. But that's not her story. Yeah? That's not her story of being a woman of kindness, a woman of stature, actually. So what does he do? He acknowledges her with honor. He honors the woman that she is, and the woman she could become with him. I'm going to say it again. He acknowledged the woman that she was, and he acknowledged the woman that she could become with him. And that leads me on 
to the last Redeemer this morning. The Redeemer who is. Maybe you're here this morning like Ruth and you feel like you have a lack of, a lack of pedigree, a lack of position, a lack of purity. Maybe you're just looking to find favor, looking for someone to love you. Maybe you've looked out there and there's no Boaz to provide and protect and to care and to redeem. But I want to tell you this morning that there is a redeemer who is. There is a redeemer who is bigger and better than Boaz and so much more than Boaz ever was. Boaz was a picture of Christ to come, but there is a redeemer who is. The reality is we're all desolate. Our sinful natures mean that we're all empty. We get to the foot of the cross empty. We're like Naomi arriving back from Moab, empty, everything taken away from us because of our sinful natures. And who's waiting for us? There is the Redeemer who is. The Redeemer who can and the Redeemer who will. Because maybe you're here this morning and you're concerned. You're worried about who you are. You're worried about where life has brought you. You're worried about the decisions you've made. You're the wrong nationality, the wrong race, the wrong gender. I'm telling you this morning, the Redeemer who is, is not scared of any of that stuff. He's not scared of your situation. He's not scared of what you did this week. There is a Redeemer who's here waiting for you. Whether you're divorced, whether you're down and out, whether you're an addict, whether you're selfish, whether you're a cheat, there is a Redeemer who can and will redeem you. And His name is Jesus. One last scripture for us this morning. Romans 10, verse 11 to 13, says this. Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are all the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 